Thank you for downloading and or streaming the newest episode of Recasted 2.0. I'm Wayne G, and back with me again, Jesse. What's going on? Hello, Wayne. I am uh, just waking up here, but I'm ready to give you my best effort this morning. Excellent. We're going to be doing The Negotiator with Kevin Spacey and Samuel L. Jackson. But as we always do before we get into things, please make sure you are following us on social media. We are on Facebook at Recast the Podcast, on Twitter at Recast the Podcast, and on Instagram at Recasted Podcast 8. Instagram's great, so if you want to see those side-by-side comparisons of our cast, but Twitter's really good if you want to interact with us. I have been interacting on Twitter with a couple of other podcasts. We love the Field of Screens podcast. They're one of our best friends on Twitter. We're trying to build our own little you know, movie podcast universe here. And uh, just started listening to Shoot the Flick because you'd recommended them, and I like them a lot. Husband and wife team that talks about movies, and they go back and forth about what movies they like. And then the other one is Movie Wars, which is they take two movies like Speed and Die Hard, and then they have a war. They have categories, and they say which movie wins. So I've been listening to those two a lot. I agree with you. Shoot the Flick is fantastic. Yeah, I really enjoyed the husband and wife pair, like you mentioned. They're pretty colorful. They definitely earn that explicit rating they have on their show. I mean, I was listening to their Homeward Bound episode, and they dropped a few F-bombs. I was like, oh, yeah. Uh, but I definitely listened in on when they were talking about the Power Rangers as well. They have a few Power Ranger episodes. So they jump all over the place in terms of the genres that they cover. But they have some very awesome perspectives. So I've really enjoyed what I've heard from them. And the you'd say it was Movie Wars? Movie Wars, yeah. They have three hosts, and what they do is first things do a little roundtable where they talk about the movies, and then they have questions or categories. So one of the categories might be best explosions, and they'll rate one versus the other. And then at the end, they total up all the categories and say, this movie won the war. Oh, okay. Awesome. That sounds really cool. I'll definitely have to you know, add that to my queue here. I've been kind of going through my shows, being like, what am I not really listening to anymore? You know, Sometimes there's sports shows that I come and go with, but for the most part, these movie shows and podcasts are really what I'm enjoying the most. So uh, hopefully we can do what you said and really grow into a uh, nice little pod family, and uh, I will have to check out Movie Wars. I know we like to remind our fans that when we talk about movies of any sort, we are not spoiler-free because of the fact that Listen, if you're tuning into The Negotiator, you've probably watched The Negotiator and you want to see how we recast it. So we're not going to really try to be spoiler free on that. But this is the first part of the show where we talk about movie news. And Jesse's going to be spoiler free because he went and saw Shang-Chi and The Legend of the Ten Rings last night. Yes, I did. And oh, my goodness, I saw a late showing of it, but I had to see it this weekend. You and I think we're both itching with anticipation for this film. And I've got to say... It's earning all the hype it's getting, Wayne. I'm not going to say best Marvel movie put out so far, but immediately within my top ten. That's what I was going to say is that I was scrolling Twitter yesterday, kind of chatting with some of our you know, Twitter pals, whatnot, and I saw one person had said, this is the new greatest Marvel movie of all time, and I thought, wow, that's that's strong. And then somebody else came on and they said, you know, stop whatever you're doing right this second and go watch the movie. And I wanted to ask you, because I know that when Black Panther came out, there was a lot of talk about how great and inclusive this movie was because it was uh, an all black cast pretty much and a black superhero. And I felt like it got a lot of really good ratings for that more so than the quality of the picture, which I love Black Panther. I think it's fantastic. But I wanted to get your opinion to see if this movie might be getting a little bit overhyped because of the fact that it's the first Asian superhero with an all Asian cast, or is it legit like, a superstar movie. I would hate to use the word overhype with this. I really think that it deserves everybody's attention and it really does draw a lot of 
awesome characteristics from the cultural background that it has and i think that it, it does a lot of justice like black panther did but it's it's a very fun movie it's very action-packed and i think anybody listening to our podcast and anybody out there on twitter that follows us is going to be very excited to see this film and they know that marvel is leading them in the correct direction here for this next phase another comment i saw was you should go see this movie for the villain alone so how good was the villain definitely awesome Again, you don't want to stay as spoil-free as possible, but I'd say there were twists and turns throughout the film that kept the villain and the story itself very excited. And the other question I had for you, not that it's a spoiler question, but I'm curious. This is a Marvel movie. It is part of Phase 5 or whatever it is, and I'm curious to get your thoughts. How well did they tie this movie into the current Marvel Universe? Well, if you stay for the mid- and post-credit scenes, then you absolutely see how they tie it in. But through the film... I really think they do an awesome job of establishing the environment and the character of Shang-Chi. I'm not sure how much they're really referencing Captain America and all that, but they really do a nice job of weaving the story and the importance of the story into the film. So I think that nobody's going to be disappointed with its impact, both now and going forward. Other Marvel news, kind of, what if? We talked about it a couple weeks ago. We do this podcast every other week. And I was able to catch up on three episodes. I don't know if they have a fourth one now. They do have a fourth one now. So if I remember correctly, episode one was the what if Captain America ended up being um, you know, Peggy Carter. Mm-hmm. Episode two was the T'Challa ended up becoming Star-Lord. And episode three was the what if all of the uh, Avengers ended up getting kind of knocked off. What if they slowly uh, ended up getting killed by someone and, and who was it? And episode four, the most recent one, was instead of Doctor Strange's hands, what if it was his heart that was attacked forever or injured forever? I've seen all four of the episodes so far. Admittedly, it's been an up and down season win. Not everything Marvel touches is gold. I love the animation style, but I think some of these stories, they, they don't seem fully thought out or they seem like they're just done to curry favor for certain fandoms, but not everybody as a whole. Right. And I wanted to ask you about that, too. When it came to Shang-Chi, you'd said that, you know, not everything Marvel touches is gold. And I wanted to ask you, Shang-Chi obviously is. People really like this film. I am not interested really at all with the trailers I've seen for the Eternals. They've been very lackluster trailers. But you had said, you know, Marvel usually does a pretty good job. What are the chances that Marvel might actually put a bomb out there? Oh, well, I mean, I, I think they have so far, uh, both in film and on TV. In film, I think we've seen it with, you know, Thor 2, I think Iron Man 3. I mean, some of these movies we have seen have not been great. They, even some of the great movies have had bad portions of them. But I think Eternals, I saw a new trailer when I was out at Shang-Chi, and I think, you know, the extended long trailer really has me excited. I wouldn't say, you know, the excitement that I am for Spider-Man or Doctor Strange or even where I was for Shang-Chi. But it does have me more optimistic than I was coming into the theater because the original trailer I've seen and the story of we watch everything but we don't really get involved, it's confusing and it's frustrating. And all the costumes, they do look a lot like there was a show that Marvel was trying to put out on ABC Family or I think their uh, Freeform channel. But that lasted less than a season. But these costumes and the makeup looks a lot like that. But so far, I think they've got some really big names. Selma Hayek, Angelina Jolie. And they've got the gentleman from Game of Thrones as well, playing a pretty prominent role. And again, new trailer that I got to see last night, I think gave it more justice and uh, really told more of the story. So hopefully we get to see that. All the fans get to see that online pretty soon because I think it will help 
um, with some of the excitement, but there's certainly a chance that that could flop. Some of their shows have. And so, again, I agree with you. I think Shang-Chi, in my opinion, has been gold, um, but some of the stuff that we have seen has not been. I would say that you do not consider Black Widow gold. I do not like Black Widow, no. <laughs> I thought it was very boring, very story-driven, not a lot of action. There was some action. There were a couple scenes I laughed at. I did like the Red Guardian character, but there were certain things like the joke about her posing, you know, as like, really, they, they played it off like four times. Like, you, you don't, okay, you made a joke, let's move on. I remember you having some gripes about the, the film as far as it's, you know, maybe reaching for some Easter eggs or reaching for some humor. But as a whole, I enjoyed it. But I agree, it's not its best work. Shang-Chi, definitely way better of a film, in my opinion. And speaking of being disappointed with films or bombs, I wanted to point out the difference here between the MCU and the DCEU. When we're getting really excited for, or at least I am, the Batman with Robert Pattinson looks fantastic. Every trailer is just amazing. But we're not really hearing a lot about it. And I started to realize that's because it's not part of the DCEU. It's a standalone. Ben Affleck is the Batman of DCEU, not Pattinson. And this is the problem I think that DC has is that, yes, Batman in the comics has like a hundred different storylines. And so they're going to make five different Batman movies, but only one of them is going to be in the MC or in the DCEU. This is why they aren't as good as the MCU is they don't even know what they're doing. Yeah, they're definitely all over the place. I think some of their issues have been with trying to be too dark. Some of their films have too dark of an angle. And then some of them, they just feel rushed. I think if you remember Justice League, that just felt very rushed. It didn't feel like it was, it really earned where it was or what it wanted to be. I think they saw Avengers and the amount of money it was bringing in and the amount of fanfare it was getting. And they wanted that so badly. And so they tried to put out Justice League way faster than they should have. And their timeline is, is all a mess. They are definitely all over the place. And I'm not sure how I feel about it. I mean, some movies from them have been really awesome. It seems like the movies that aren't on the timeline for them are the ones that end up being the best. The Suicide Squad, from what I hear, is, is getting really good reviews. And this Batman one, I think I'm already more interested in it than, than anything I've seen Ben Affleck in the Batsuit. So I didn't love Ben Affleck as Batman. I know some people really did enjoy his, his representation of it, but I really enjoy what Edward Pattinson's going to bring to it. I've really come full circle from what I originally said and you have kind of coached me on saying that, you know, you think Edward Pattinson has earned his stripes here as Batman. Yeah, I like that you're calling him Edward Pattinson uh, instead of <laughs> Robert Pattinson, thinking of the uh, Twilight movies there, right? I, I am, yeah. I'm, I'm hoping he glitters a little bit. <laughs> <laughs> like I said, the whole DC, and you mentioned the Justice League, and one of the things that I had uh, an issue with is obviously they came out with the Snyder Cut, right, which was like, this is what it was supposed to be. And everyone got all, you know, buzzing about it and how great it was. And I thought to myself, is it really that much better than the Justice League? Or is this all those movie geeks? You know, no offense to our fans here, but those movie geeks just wanted to stroke off, you know, Zack Snyder. Yeah, he didn't mean that movie geeks. But yeah, I, I think when movie companies or production companies come out with like reduxes or different cuts of their movies, it shows a lack of trust or faith in what they originally put out. If, if it could have been this awesome, make it this awesome in the first place. Don't make us wait a year or a year and a half to see a redone film. And honestly, I didn't see the Snyder Cut. I don't know if you had, but I'm not. Inter- I'm not interested in seeing a movie all over again, even if it is slightly different. I'm not. I'm just not invested in that timeline enough to really care. A movie I did not want to see, based on the trailers that I'd seen, and you told me it was good, but I still wasn't taking your word for it. And I was like, I'm not really going to watch it. But we watched it last night. Was Cruella, and I really liked it. I thought it was actually really good. 
Yeah, both my daughter and uh, mother and, and myself, we all watched it this past weekend. And, uh, you know, we did enjoy it. There's a second one coming. I think that Disney did a good job of turning a classic villain into someone that you can kind of see a story and want a story, you know, want to hear more about. So I think they did a really nice job. They did not waste a single dime on the, the music budget. I think plenty of bangers ended up finding their way into that movie. But I think Emma Stone did a really, really good job. Yeah, I liked her a lot. And I am excited for the sequel. I will say this for people who haven't seen it, that, you know, it is a standalone or almost like a reboot of the Cruella character. This is not going to be Cruella DeVille who goes to try to kidnap the 101 Dalmatians. They're not trying to set up a prequel. This is going to be her own story. And yes, it incorporates Dalmatians somehow, but I really, really like the direction it's going in because I feel like they are painting her as somewhat of a heroine rather than a villain. So I take it you didn't watch any end credits for Cruella. Oh, I did not know. Oh, well, she drops off two Dalmatians, one to the lawyer and one to uh, her friend. And uh, the, if I'm not mistaken, those are the two original pups from 101 Dalmatians. Right. And I saw that that, that Angela, I think it is, and um, the lawyer who plays the piano, right? Remember him from the cartoon as well. I, I saw the tie-in, but I still feel like it's not going to go. It's it, not it a may- linear path. It made me feel, you know, like it was a prequel. They're going to tie in to the bigger story, you know, in the future here. Now that she's kind of, you know, again, without spoiling too much, now she's kind of, you know, made herself really Cruella now. Hmm. Well, we'll see. I'm excited to see where it goes. And then the last thing I had was, this is something I didn't realize when I was listening to some of these other podcasts and they were talking about the scores for some of these movies. And are you familiar with John Williams? Do you know who that is? Name doesn't sound familiar. So he's a composer, and to give you an idea of some of the theme songs that he's composed over the course of his career, one would be Superman. That's him, right? That's iconic. Iconic, right? Well, speaking of iconic, he also did the theme song for Jaws. That's him as well. And then he went, he did a a smaller movie called Star Wars where he wrote the theme music for that. Then he followed up Star Wars by doing Indiana Jones. So the Indiana Jones theme song was written by John Williams as well. Then he did the theme song for Jurassic Park, which is another iconic theme song. And then he did the theme song for Harry Potter. And I thought to myself, is this guy like a trillionaire? <laughs> he should be. I, I was like, you know, those movies I just named, you can't go five consecutive days without hearing the music from one of them. Right. I mean, those are all top shelf movies. So I think this guy, um, you know, I should know his name. You know, you should know his name. We should all know who he is. Because he's probably going to put out the music for the next favorite movie you enjoy. Right. Like the next iconic song, the minute you hear the first few notes, you go, oh, I know what movie that's from. He did the Avengers theme, you said? No, not the Avengers. <laughs> <laughs> no, that's the one he's missing, right? <laughs> yeah. The one missing uh, piece. But yeah, that's all I really had. I don't know if you had any other movie news topics you wanted to go over before we get into the recast. I don't know if you wanted to get into it, but you know that leaked Spider-Man show that we started talking about the last episode, that ended up getting released, actually, and so we all really got to see it. And you know, Can I get your thoughts on that now that you got to see the full scope of it? 
Yeah, I'm glad that they released it. I think what happened was it got released. They didn't want it to be, but they were like, F it. Everyone's already seen it now, so might as well just let it out there. And it was the exact same one that had been released earlier, but obviously HD quality instead of somebody's cell phone. I enjoyed it, but I had so many questions. And maybe that's a good thing because I have to go watch the movie to get those questions answered. But just so many things seemed out of character for like Doctor Strange. I mean, if you saw the trailer, we're talking about the trailer. I'm sorry if we're spoiling the trailer for you. Go watch the two minute trailer. But the, but Doctor Strange, like helping Spider-Man by casting a spell to create these multiverses and whatnot. Like it doesn't seem like something he would actually do. It's so out of character for him. I'm thinking that maybe he's just doing some sort of like a dream sequence. It's not actually happening. Yeah, I mean, I enjoy when a trailer leaves you with more questions than it does answers. You know, I, I don't want to know everything that's going to happen. I want to be left with a desire to go and, and, you know, be filled in. And so the trailer definitely did that. It gave me some, certainly some interesting points, though. I mean, we saw the, the little pumpkin bomb from Green yep. Goblin. We did actually see Doc Ock um, himself say hello, Peter. So really some awesome moments there that are leading into that messed up timeline. Could be being thrown in okey-doke from Marvel. But I think so far, this looks like everything that we wanted it to be is all those Spider-Man verses pulled together into a live action Spider-Verse. So this is going to be really fun and uh, looking forward to seeing more of it. But I don't know how many more trailers I really want to see. I mean, I, I don't like seeing too much before I actually sit down in the theater. Yeah, this trailer was enough. That's perfect. You know, we were all going to go see it. Regard- Even if they didn't come out with a trailer, we were going to go see it. So. Right. Just This is plenty. It gives us enough to ask questions that we want to have answered. Like you said, I love seeing the pumpkin bomb and hearing uh, Willem Dafoe's laugh when the pumpkin bomb lands. Like, oh, yes, the Green Goblin, fantastic. Doc Ock has been the worst kept secret in all of the Marvel. We knew he was going to be in it. And we, the one disappointment is that we didn't see Andrew Garfield or Tobey Maguire in the trailer, but maybe they'll save that for the movie. I think we're all expecting them to be in it. And then the one part I did laugh at, obviously, was when... You know, Doctor Strange says to Peter, he's like, you know, we saved half the universe together. You don't have to call me sir. He's like, okay, Stephen. I'm sorry to bother you, sir. Please, we saved half the universe together. I think we're beyond you calling me sir. Okay, Stephen. That feels weird, but I'll allow it. Yeah. That's uh, weird. But <laughs> yeah, l- little bits of humor like that, I think, is, you know, don't don't make it too heavy in these movies um, because there still is a very serious um, note to it. I think there has to be with what you consider is going on where Spider-Man's been revealed to everybody, but weaving in humor into these Marvel movies has really made it more successful. I think from like four, three on the the nice timing of humor, um, how it fits in and how it doesn't overtake the storyline, I think really works. Yeah, I agree. And I think they did a great job of that. Even in like Endgame, which was a very heavy movie, they had enough humor in there that we laughed at a lot of different parts. And, and you needed to because there are some other parts that I admittedly cried. Every time I see that movie, I still tear up at certain parts. So I'm an emotional fellow. I, don't know, I agree. I did as well. I hid my face from everybody. I was ashamed of my <laughs> sobbing. <laughs> but yeah, that's it. We got uh, the negotiator. Are you ready to do this? I'm ready to talk about it. Are you? Do you want to negotiate about this? Yeah, let's do it. <laughs> Negotiator came out in 1998 and was directed by Harry Gray. Looking at his credits before this, like many of these movies that we've done recently, with the exception of Steven Spielberg, this director was directing 
rap videos and music videos before he really got into directing movies. The first movie he really did before this was Friday. We all know Chris Tucker and Ice Cube. Fantastic movie there. He did Damn. set it off. He did set it off with Queen Latifah, and then he does the Negotiator. And I thought, great job. I mean, directing again. A lot of these you know directors they come from these mu- music video backgrounds. It's crazy. Yeah, I didn't know what his background or history was, but to be honest, Wayne, hearing what he had done, I think is going to make it more surprising and more conversational when we do get to something that we need to get to um, regarding this film. But hearing how he did Friday and worked with Queen Latifah, but didn't really, I think, do what we expected here in the negotiator. So I'm excited to hear what you have to say about that when we do uh, unravel that. Yeah, for sure. And since he directed this movie, I did usually talk about what they did before. But since he's done this movie, he did the movie A Man Apart with Vin Diesel, The Italian Job, Be Cool, Law Abiding Citizen, which is so good. And Men in Black International. So not as good. But the, uh, you know, this does actually have the negotiator really feels like a law abiding citizen kind of feel to it. But I did have our plot here. We usually start things off with a little plot thanks to Wikipedia. Wikipedia.com. Sponsoring the show? No, they're not. But they give us the plot. <laughs> and the plot goes as such. Danny Roman is considered the best police negotiator in Chicago. After a friend warns him that someone is embezzling from a disability fund, the person is found dead. Internal Affairs investigator Nebom discovers the gun used had been handled by Danny Roman. When no one believed his innocence, Roman takes Nebom hostage. When Chris Sabian arrives to hear Roman's demands, the two skilled negotiators begin a tense standoff. The movie was two hours and 20 minutes long, and I'm curious if you enjoyed it. I did enjoy it. I will have to say this was my first watch of this film. I definitely heard of it, but I had not seen it before. And uh, oddly enough, Wayne, um, you know, we don't usually do movies with actors that we do in back-to-back films, but this is a back-to-back Samuel L. Jackson with hair film because <laughs> uh, he was in Jurassic Park as well. But I really did enjoy the film. It had me on the edge of my seat a bit. Uh, there were some twists and turns throughout this movie that had me excited to see how it was going to end. You know, some parts made me mad, some parts made me happy. But overall, I think with the actors they provided, it was a really standout performance. I enjoyed the film a lot. I enjoyed it a lot as well. And this is one of my movies that I watched that I think Kevin Spacey is so good. And I know we were talking off screen how he hasn't really been in much since a bunch of stuff has come out about him. But if we just relegate it to what he's done on screen, he's fantastic. I mean, everything he's in, he's so good. Right. I, I like to be able to kind of compartmentalize like that. And I think, you know, some people can, some people can't. But I think if you just separate what he did as an actor, uh, American Beauty, I think he was also very funny in the Horrible Bosses movies um, in those limited roles as a dick. And uh, I think he really did, really did a great job in this film, really delivered the impact he needed to. I think he really helped resolve things if anybody hasn't seen this 1998 film sorry for spoiling some things so far but go see it but i really did enjoy it both samuel and uh, you know kevin spacey did a great job in this film and there were some other really good supporting actors as well um, so a lot of familiar faces when you watch this movie for sure and actually the budget on this film when it was made was 43.5 million dollars which would be equivalent to 73 million dollars today which is actually a pretty decent budget i mean i know every movie made now seems to have a hundred million dollar budget but $73 million is still a pretty solid budget, and particularly for this movie, which didn't have a lot of explosions, gun shootouts. I mean, this was a very dialogue-driven movie, and so to have that kind of budget, you know it all went to the actors. 
And in the box office, it made 88 million, which is equivalent to 147, which is not a good return on 73. But again, this, this was like a few good men, right? It's a very dialogue driven movie. You're not, if you're going to watch explosions, which is what gets the $700 million movies, you know, then this was not the movie for you. But if you're going to be intellectually stimulated, this was a great film. Oh, I agree with that a lot, Wayne. I think you hit it on the nail there. You know, this isn't going to be your pop bang type of movie, but if you really want to be stimulated, like you mentioned, I really think that's that's the best way to put it. Is this movie really makes you think? I mean, it has you thinking a few different things the whole movie, and uh, I think it's really fun how it plays out. Yeah, I think before we get into the actual recasting, the one point I did want to make, and you had alluded to it, was that this film takes place in Chicago, Illinois, big city. There's two different groups, the North and the South side, that kind of come together in this film for the police department. And I was disappointed with the lack of diversity in this film. Even though Samuel L. Jackson was the lead role and, and he's African-American, he had his wife. And then I think there was one SWAT patrol officer who was black. And then everybody else was white, like straight up white. And I was like, what is going Isn't this play- take place in Chicago? Half of them white with a mustache as well. So, I mean, it looked like it could have taken place in Wisconsin. Um <laughs> But yeah, I, I didn't really think about uh, watching it, but after you mentioned it to me, of course, I'd already had my cast on, and I'm stubborn. I don't really want to go through my entire cast again, so I'm going to let you really kind of carry the flag, but I really agree with points you're making. I mean, especially because I didn't come into it knowing the information about the director of the film and knowing that he had such a rich background in involving people of color, it would have been great to see that translated to a film that you said you know takes place in Chicago. When you consider that, you have to have more representation in the law force, um, and you don't need to have them typecasted in some type of criminal role either. So it would have been a better film, and I think more impactful if you saw that, especially in 1998. I don't think there's really a year or a decade that you could pick out where that wouldn't be a bad idea is to involve more people of color in a film where it just makes the most sense. Yeah, for sure. Maybe it falls on the casting director more than the director. The director himself is African-American, and like you said, he directed Friday, he directed Set It Off. And so you would think maybe this just came down to the studio saying, well, we got these actors. This is who we want. You don't really have a say in it. You're just directing it. Now, I, I know we play, you know, recasting for 2021, Wayne. But just to kind of play somewhat devil's advocate, going back to 1998, if you were to cast uh, another actor in any of these other roles, can you think of any? And I hate to put you on the spot, but I, I know you have such a great brain and, and you can really work that thing anybody else from 1980 that you think would have worked in these movies do you have denzel as, as kevin spacey's role i mean i know you said he did such a great role but where else do you think you would have fit somebody in and, and who comes to mind right away yeah i mean denzel could have been good i think in some of the other roles if you're looking at like the swat guys or like the the police officers who had lines i mean wesley snipes at that time was still fairly decent and these are big stars i mean there's plenty of smaller level stars as well and we'll get into some of those, but um, I didn't want to pontificate too much on it. It was just something that struck me watching the film. I was like, wow, this is a really white movie. Uh, but I did enjoy it. In Chicago, yeah. But yeah, I think you lead things off this week, right, with Danny Roman? I do, but before I do, I just want to confirm with you and our, our friends out there, are we doing eight or nine this time? We, we almost always do eight, but Wayne um, really had a hankering to do nine this time. So I just want to confirm, because if we do nine, I've got a nine. If we only do eight, I can do eight. No, we got nine. I did want to do Farley at the, at the end just because they had such a great in, uh, interaction between Farley and Roman. Uh, and so I was, I wanted to have him in there, but uh, yeah, he'll be nice. Perfect. Okay. So yeah, I'm, uh, I'm ready to kick us off with Danny. 
I think Samuel Jackson did a great job. And my mom had mentioned this when we were watching. I think this is the most romantic that I've seen Samuel L. Jackson be in a movie. Not a ton of it, but you could really see some moments between him and his wife that, you know, you really don't see from Samuel L. Jackson a lot. But I think he did a great job of showing his skills in the field. He didn't rush to things and he really used his skill set to succeed. I think the opening bit in the movie there has him you know, end up talking somebody down when they have a gun to a child. Really a, a great job of, of acting in this film. And looking at what he did prior to this, it was Pulp Fiction. And that's the biggest one that I can think of. I know he did some others that you'll be able to tell us, Wayne, but that's the biggest one that I can think of. So I know that he's coming into this a really hot actor. And uh, I'm saying that as far as his resume, not his looks. But I'm going to go with somebody who is not unfamiliar to cop roles, and that is Will Smith. I think Will Smith, at his current age, could really do an awesome representation of Danny. And I think, like I mentioned, he is no stranger to any bit of law films. He's been in plenty. And um, I think he's just a wonderful actor. And uh, like I alluded to, this may be the start of the episode where I pander to Wayne. Okay. Well, I think Will Smith is a great cast choice here. I do think that he has some of the similar qualities as Samuel L. Jackson in terms of how intense he can be, because we have seen him do that. The one difference, and this isn't a bad difference with the character, but that Will Smith is a little bit more charming. I think that Samuel Jackson's a little more rigid, but that's fine. If you're a negotiator, I mean, you want to have some sort of charm because you're going to be wooing these, you know, hostage people. So I, I definitely think that that's going to be a great way to kick off the cast. I think that it's a perfect fit. I can't really think of anything negative about that. So I think that's really good. Um, yeah, that's a strategy, Wayne. If I, if I pick your favorite people, then you can't say anything bad about them. hey this is wayne's favorite actor we'll cast him um but no the uh samuel jackson like you said he'd been in uh quite a bit we know him as nick fury and mace windu but prior to this film he had been in goodfellas a small role there juice patriot games jurassic park we recasted in the last episode pulp fiction uh, die hard with a vengeance which is my favorite die hard which may be sacrilege to say but i really enjoyed that one i thought the chemistry between him and bruce willis in that film was really great the thing with Samuel L. Jackson, and even in Die Hard with a Vengeance, where he's kind of a quasi-leading man, it's still John McClane is the star of the movie, Samuel L. Jackson typically plays a supporting role, almost always. In a few movies that he has done a leading role, I don't think he's done really well. And I know that may be sacrilegious, again, because some people use that word again, but, you know, Shaft was just awful. Snakes on a Plane is awful, right? I mean... So this was a change where he's actually the lead, and it was really good. And I thought he did such a good job. Like I said, I think that he's a very rigid, he's like a military ass. You can tell he's a police officer. He he lacks that charm that Sabian has. You know, he's very, very rigid. But he's good at his job. He's technical. So the notes I have here, I wanted somebody, one, serious, two, on the brink of crazy. Because it seems like he loses it. At one point, you know, he says, shoot me, go ahead, shoot me, when he's standing in the window. And obviously, if you're taking hostages, you probably lost it at some point. I also have here military, tactical. So I went with a character, and I'm going to explain this in a second, but I went with a character who, again, I think is really smart, comes across as police-esque, and comes across as on the brink of losing it, and that is Christian Bale. I went with as Danny Roman here. And the reason I went with Christian Bale is obviously he was in American Psycho, Terminator Salvation, The Fighter. He's Batman in the Nolan trilogy. But I always think of that blow-up that he has yelling at the director when he's screaming at him everybody's heard and that strikes me as like Danny Roman when he loses his mind I'm gonna fucking kick your fucking ass you know shut up for a second alright 
I'm gonna go. Do you want me to go fucking trash your lights? Do you want me to fucking trash them? Then why are you trashing my scene? Even American Psycho, he's a little bit of a psycho. Obviously, it's the name of the movie. The reason this is funny is because I just went on about how this movie was whitewashed and diversity. I casted a white Danny Roman. <laughs> yeah, yeah, you, you really you carried the flag for diversity, and then you're like, you know what, I'm going to plant this on the leading character being white. So, yeah. <laughs> Bessie Dunwin, how do you follow that up? Um, I love Christian Bale. I think he really killed it as Batman. That is who my Batman is. And I also think American Psycho is a great film. I think he's done a lot of stuff for his body, too, to uh, do certain roles. So he's really a dedicated actor. I think he's he's done a lot of things so far. And I think he'd do great in this. I think he definitely fits that age profile. But I'm excited and also curious to see how much how much color you add now after your, your okey-doke there. Yeah, I definitely can't go on that <laughs> diatribe and then, you know, just cast an all-white cast. So bear with me. I'm going to make up for it. Obviously, the next character we're casting is Chris Sabian, which was played by Kevin Spacey. Obviously, we know him, House of Cards, uh, American Beauty. He Beauty. was a, an Academy Award winner for that. But prior to this film, he had done The Usual Suspects, Seven, A Time to Kill, Outbreak, L.A. Confidential. He's a big, big-time star. And when I was looking at his character, I think he's handsome and he's charming. So he's a little bit different than our main character because he's like the Will Smith, right? He's a little bit more of a smooth-talking negotiator than like a military follow-the-book kind of negotiator. I do have here that he can be serious, even intense. I mean, we see that scene when he thinks that Danny has killed somebody and he storms up to the stairs, right? And he's like, oh, you want something from me now. You need to reopen negotiations. I'm sorry, you want something from me? I want the electricity turned back on. You, you want something from me? You think killing a man gives you the power to negotiate with me? Why is that, Danny Roman? Because you think you know me? Because you think you can trust me? Because you think you know what I'm going to do, that I'm going to give you time? Don't you fucking count on it. Right, and he's like not taking any of Samuel L. Jackson's crap at that point. Uh, I thought you saw an intensity there. But I went with a character who, or an actor who is up and coming. He's only done, I think, like 18 or 19 films. And so he is about to explode. I like using those types of people. His name is Jonathan Majors. And he was in a movie called The Last Black Man in San Francisco. He was in Jungle Land, <clears throat> Lovecraft Country on HBO. And of course, he is King the Conqueror from uh, Marvel, which is going to be probably a multi-movie role for him. But I think that he is going to fit that role of being very smooth and charming and the opposite of Christian Bale, who's going to be crazy and nuts. Yeah, I think in the one thing that I've seen him in, and that's probably what a lot of people have seen him in recently, is you know his role there in Loki as, as Kang the one who remains, whatever they're kind of going kind to of name him for the moment. But I think he was captivating in, in the, the one episode we saw him in. He was captivating. He really knew how to use his words and uh, to really tell a story. And so I think that he would kill it in this role. I think that he's someone that um, I wouldn't have considered for this role. So um, I think that's an awesome job for you coming back from that okie doke and picking someone who is, uh, I, I agree with you, couldn't be more on the up and up. And this gentleman, uh, I think, would really do an awesome role. So Jonathan Majors as your Chris Sabian, I think, is awesome. I'm hoping that I do it justice and I come off with an awesome pick as well. Chris Sabian, to kind of, um, you know, dovetail what you were saying, I think he is more of a charming, caring family man. You can see he's got a child and he's got his wife. In, in the opening scene we see him in, you know, there's a bit of a kerfuffle at their house or loft, wherever that setting may be. And I think the juxtaposition with Samuel Jackson is, 
he's a little bit newer to our relationships. I think we can really read between the lines that him and his relationship with Karen are, are very new. I think they recently got married and he seems more new to the family life and to that. So I think he's rough, but I think he's maybe getting smoothed out slowly but surely, whereas Chris Sabian, definitely a smooth talker and a smooth family man. And for this one, I went with Edward Norton. I think a uh, a wonderful actor, someone who, again, fits the age profile. I think that I could see him having a war of words, a war of wit, um, and uh, negotiating back and forth with Will Smith, who was going to play my Danny. So two of uh, Wayne's favorite characters, let's see, say something bad. I was just going to say, great job avoiding those, uh, those jabs in this one as well. Because I think that Edward Norton is tremendous and actually considered him as well for this role. Because Spacey in real life is kind of a actor who is kind of a Broadway-ish actor. Like he seems like a theater type actor. And I think Edward Norton has those same qualities. And I can see so many parallels between those two actors and how they play their roles that I really had Edward Norton in the back of my head as I was scrolling through what I wanted to do for the longest time. So again, I can't say anything bad. And I think that the chemistry, again, between these two negotiators, Will Smith and Edward Norton, is just, it's it's perfect. There's nothing, it's mwah, it's great. <laughs> yeah, and I think these two characters, it's really going to be fun to see them do their thing. And yours as well. I mean, Christian Bale, Jonathan Majors, I mean, these two are, are people who can really captivate you on the screen and really hold your attention. So I think leading off so far, we've really done a great job to really kind of fit the bill um, with these two guys. And I wanted to also touch on, you know, when I'm going through this cast, talking about it with my mom, you know, we're minutes into the movie and I'm talking about it with it because I hadn't seen it and she had, but it had been a while. She goes, Samuel Jackson's a supporting role. This is, you know, this is Kevin Spacey's a leading guy. So just it, it kind of different than what you had just mentioned where, you know, Samuel Jackson's finally being a leading guy. I think my mom just kind of always had the thought of him being a supporting guy. I came up with Edward Norton probably about like 10, 15 minutes in and, and I mentioned it to my mom and she was, oh, that's perfect. I'm glad so far that I've got your approval. And oh my goodness, what a little bit. I did not know this, that uh, JT Walsh died before this film came out. I knew he died. I didn't know he died before it came out, though. It was, it was about four or five months. I checked the timeline just to be sure, but it ended up being about four or five months in between. So, you know, this was put out with him, you know, uh, posthumously. But great performance by him. We know him from one of our films we did in our former life, and that was A Few Good Men. And I think a great actor. You'd mentioned him being in, in many other good things as well. I think in this... You can tell he's fishy and a bad dude from the first time we see him. That's the original guy. Um, that's the guy that Danny's going after. He's supposed to go turn himself in. You know, he ends up going right up to Nebom and he wants answers. And so that's where the hostage situation really takes place and it starts to really blow up from there. And I needed someone who, um, you know, looked that age. I wanted someone who was also uh, a little bit rounder, someone who looked to be timid, who's someone who thought they were in power, but someone who could easily be proven to not be in power. I dipped back into a recent bucket here, and I uh, I grabbed Matthew Perry as uh, you know my new JT Walsh or my Terrence Nebom. I think he certainly has the look of this gentleman, and I think that if you looked at the five or six people involved in Friends, um, and you said you know which one of these guys is taking money from you know the the Friends retirement stash, it'd be Chandler. <laughs> Maybe, yeah. So this is the the first one that I, I I'm not totally in love with. I do love Friends, and I do like Matthew Perry. I think Three to Tango. I think. Fools Rush In are two of my favorite romantic comedies. However, that said, I, I just picture him as being a little bit kooky. I mean, like, like Nebom seems very serious. There's not really any humor to anything he says. Now, I think if you cast Matthew Perry 
maybe you have to give him somewhat of a backhanded, sarcastic comment at some point just to kind of make it work with the character. Because I can't see Matthew Perry just playing a completely 100% straight role. I'm not even sure how funny he is, especially now. <laughs> I don't know but, about now. I haven't seen him anything in a long time. But but I deserve some criticism. I mean, after having two bangers, who who's going to represent your Terrence Newbaum here, Wayne? Yeah, so when I'm looking at the character, like you said, J.T. Walsh, when we talk about my favorite actors, J.T. Walsh is so good. And, I mean, this is a guy who every single time he's on screen, he hits it out of the park. You touched on the fact that he's Lieutenant Markinson in A Few Good Men. We had talked to our buddy Silk Cozart because he was in Blue Chips. He was Happy Kuykendall, the recruiter that pays money to the athletes. He was in Pleasantville. He's the mayor of the town. He's so good in that. Good Morning Vietnam. He's the guy that like gives Robin Williams crap about being funny. Everything he's in, he's an absolute home run hitter. So it's so tough to recast that role, but I wanted to kind of just focus on a couple of things. I said I want somebody who is kind of smarmy, shady, slimy, because that's the way internal affairs people are always portrayed in these police movies. They're always against the cops, you know, even if he was a good internal affairs guy, which it seems like he wasn't. It seems like he knows who's skimming off the top. So there's something shady about him, and that's why he ends up getting killed. So the scene where Danny is questioning him is so intense when he's trying to tell him about how, you know, oh, you moved your eyes this way so I can tell that you're lying. I'm not going to play your stupid fucking game, okay, Roman? Oh, why, Nebom? You afraid we'll catch you on a lie? When did you find out Nate was investigating the fund? <clears throat> After I spoke with you. Well, that is a fucking lie if I've ever Fuck seen you. one. Never even blinked my eyes, you scum. You didn't have to blink, Nebom. It's your body language. It says you're lying. He's nervous, Danny. What do you expect from him? Shut up, Frost! You know how this works. It's not just your eyes, Nebom. It's everything. If you cough, sneeze, uh, cross your legs, scratch your ass, they're all telltale signs. You can't cheat. You can stare at me with those dead-ass eyes of yours all you want. Can't beat the system. One last question. Do you know who killed Nate? you and then it was just like oh i can't tell if he's lying he was so intense in that scene so i picked somebody who again we recasted recently which we're doing a lot of this but we had recasted him and he was in jurassic park jurassic world mr robot and that is bd wong i think who has always kind of played that authoritative kind of guy mr robot he's white rose and he's been in law and order 230 episodes of law and order you know uh, SVU or whatever it is. And he's a guy who I think comes across as serious. He's an internal affairs guy. He's going to investigate you. But there's also something kind of shady about him. When I saw Jurassic World, and he's trying to sell the dinosaurs off. He's got a little bit of a shady side to him. So I felt like that was like the perfect representation. I could definitely see him being very serious. In my experience with BD Wong, it's really been through uh, Law and Order. I mean, I really only have seen him, um, you know, or that long. I think the volume I've seen him in that, it, it has him come off as a good guy, someone working for the good guys, but he definitely has that serious dress up nature. And I, I could see him pulling off, you know, someone who, you know, does some things, pulls some strings to make sure more money ends up in his pocket. Plus I get a little bit more diversity in the cast, which I was excited about as well. Yeah. And I think he is a wonderful choice. I, again, I think he hits right on that age that you need to be. I think him and Bale going at each other, you know, would certainly be exciting. And I think so far, you know, top three, really good, really good start, really good cast for you win. Yeah, thank you. And now we get into Adam Beck, who is played by David Morse. Here's the funny thing about David Morse. So David Morse always plays, he's got the mustache, but he always plays 
just a cop. Like he always, when I was going through his credentials, like, oh, he played FBI agent. Well, look, he's FBI agent number two. Well, look, police officer number five. <laughs> and he's just always a police officer. Even in the show House, he was on several episodes of House as a police officer who had arrested House for driving while under the influence of narcotics. And then uh, the Green Mile. He's one of the corrections officers in the Green Mile. You know? right. So he just always plays that kind of role. So I wanted somebody talk, to talk about on. typecasting. <laughs> Very typecast, but he's done 119 movies, so he's made some money playing those roles. But I wanted to go with somebody who, again, would be very stoic. The thing I like about him is he seems like he's the head of the SWAT patrol, so like he shows up in support of the negotiator, but he is intimidating. I think he's physically intimidating, even and he talks intimidating too. So I wanted somebody who was going to be a tough talker, who would be intimidating to you know kind of go up against. I went with a, an actor who I is in a show that I like. Not a lot of people are going to know him, but his name is Ricky Whittle, and Ricky Whittle probably most famous for being Shadow Moon in American Gods. And he's, again, kind of a jacked guy, very serious actor. So I think that he's a guy who would play this role really well. Again, Beck doesn't have a ton of lines, but there are those lines where he's telling like the team, like, take the shot, kill Danny, even though he knows Danny. Right, yeah, not a ton of dialogue, but every bit of dialogue he has seems to be powerful, uh, seems to be impactful in the movie. And I agree, he's definitely the, the SWAT leader. I think if you look at everybody in the film, he's the one that comes off as most physically imposing, the one who looks most like a cop in the field right now, um, whereas the negotiators are kind of doing their thing to talk. He's there to do physical stuff, and they, they you see they have they butt heads. Not as familiar with the gentleman you chose, but if, if he has that intimidating um, nature about him, that you know that stature, and, and he can, can talk in a bit of a stern nature, then I think you know that does everything it needs to do. And I need to do a better job of kind of expanding my horizons with shows um i've heard good things about american gods is that anything you've watched oh yeah i've watched three seasons of it can't wait for the next season to come out and for those unfamiliar with it the idea is that these are all the gods of america and there's the old gods versus the new gods so the new gods would be like media radio tv whatever there's technology is is like the new gods the old gods are like odin shadow moon plays odin's son and then you know there's just so many others, like an African god, there's a couple of those. But these are gods who kind of came over from different countries that people worship. And when people stop worshiping you and they forget about you, you kind of die. And so now with all the new gods, technology and all this stuff like that, right? People are really into phones and things like that. They're not really thinking about Odins and whatnot. So it's kind of about the old gods versus the new gods, and it's pretty good. Okay. Definitely something that sounds interesting. Um, you know, mixes some of that old school like mythology and with some new tones of what's actually happening in the world. So what platform did you say that was online? I want to say it's on AMC, I think. So they do a lot oh. of those shows. Okay. Um, definitely something that sounds exciting and I, I like, I'd like to check it out. But again, I, I think your character will pull off the size and, and stature. So I'll be excited to kind of learn more about him as I get into that show. I had a real tough time casting this. I saw Beck as a bad dude the entire film. And then he rope-a-doped us in the end and ended up being someone that wasn't part of, you know, the, the ring. And I for sure would have put money on him being part of the ring or that group that's, you know, shaving money, you know, to go into his own pocket. But, you know, that mustache seems pretty iconic of his. And just, you know, like I mentioned, he's got the physical stature. You know, he's got the body that looks like he's still in the field and he wants to get his hands dirty. He wants to get his hands on someone, whereas the other guys really want to do their magic with their words. And so, like I mentioned, had a real tough time, really, I think, maybe focused too hard on trying to find somebody that had a mustache. But I went with Henry Cable, you know, most notably this generation Superman, but has kind of been in the shadows for a little bit. I think he's doing uh, the show The Watcher that's on Netflix, or The Witcher, I'm sorry. 
very you know imposing size. And if you do Google Henry Cable mustache, he does pull it off very nicely. But again, I think someone that looks like he'd be getting his hands dirty and someone that you know would want to be going in and going after Will Smith as opposed to keeping him safe. No, I agree 100%. I think I'm glad you went there because when you kept talking about the mustache and you're kind of hung up on the mustache, I'm like, oh, he either went with Sam Elliott or Tom Selleck. (laughs) (laughs) Henry Cable's great. The only criticism I would have for Henry Cable, and it has nothing to do with how he fits his part because I think he fits it perfectly. He did a great job there. Is the budget wise, right? Like we're now Henry Cable is kind of a guy who's getting 20 million per picture now because he's done Superman, because he's doing The Witcher, which is a huge hit, you know. So I think that he's a guy who's going to demand quite a bit. We didn't really have a budget. We never do. So I always give Jesse crap about the budget every now and then. We don't technically have a budget, but I think he might be a little bit big for the role. But as far as how he'll do the role, fantastic. I think he's going to be really good because he does play that very stoic. He's physically intimidating. He's a big guy. So I mean, I can see him being the head of the SWAT team. Yeah, and I think, you know, if I'm anything, I'm consistent. I'm always going to spend more money than I should. <laughs> well, we'll talk about when we get to recast and wait till you hear how much I was going to spend. We'll get to that. <laughs> Rudy was a, a very fun character to cast, and I had a few ideas right off the bat, but a nervous but greasy criminal, someone who Danny has arrested in the past. I mean, I believe it was for like cyber theft or. or some, or some type of theft, but definitely someone that has a little bit of history that Danny remembers, um, someone who's involved in crime. And where was he? Right in Nebom's office when Danny goes to confront him. So he ends up becoming one of the hostages. And my choice for this was, and I'm, let me ask you, Ian, have you ever seen or heard of the show The League? League, it sounds familiar. Is it like so a sports show? Kind of, sort of. It was on FX. It had Nick Kroll and uh, Sam Renazizi few others but it was a very funny show uh, loosely tied around fantasy football but the actor i chose is paul Shear, s-c-h-e-e-r he's andre from that show i get a funny nervousness from him and i think that someone who i can um, maybe save a little bit of money on because i've been expensive elsewhere paul Shear gives me the same vibes that i got from rudy in this film yeah i see what you're saying and i think that he actually kind of reminds me a little bit of the guy i can't think of his name from hot tub time machine the bald guy from that he kind of has that kind of feel to him and so i definitely think that this is again great cast you you nailed it perfect with this character because the character rudy is kind of a little shady guy i think he's actually like a narc who works for them he tells on people but he like you said he's been arrested several times danny's arrested him before and so he's a guy who's always in the police department whether he's ratting on somebody or whether he's getting arrested himself so this guy looks like that kind of shady guy who you would need as a hacker to kind of get into the police fund to see who's taking money out and whatnot. And actually becomes one of my favorite characters of among the hostages. Again, he's originally played by Paul Giamatti, who we know from Billions. He's the Chuck Rhodes in Billions. Before this movie, Paul Giamatti was in My Best Friend's Wedding. He was in The Truman Show, but probably most prominent or famous as Pig Vomit in Private Parts. He was Howard Stern's boss, who he hated. And Paul Giamatti might be the best character actor working in the United States today. Everything he's in, he's good. He's in Cinderella Man, right? He's Russell Crowe's friend, who's kind of the, the boxer that helps him out there. He's in Lady in the Water, which is not good. But, you know, he is always, always really good, just like J.T. Walsh. So I actually kind of started to really like Rudy, and there's actually that scene where, you know, Samuel Jackson says he's going to kill a hostage unless something happens. And he's like, sorry. He goes, Danny Roman was just starting to like you. That's really too bad, Rudy. Because Danny Roman was just starting to like you. I'll tell Danny Roman to hold the fuck on. Right, and he also seems to help Danny along with, you know, the 
small interrogation there of Nibom with the eyes. You know, he's uh, sorry. I, I, I couldn't see at that time, but, uh, you know, he's almost working with him to, to try and help out, to try and you know, almost diffuse the situation. He's also the one on the phone with Farley at first, or, you know, he's definitely on the phone at some point. And he's saying, you know, stop saying no, motherfucker. We're okay. Just don't be saying no, no more, motherfucker. Um, <laughs> so uh, definitely delivered some some lines that, that helped the story along. Yeah, for sure. And I, again, he was really great. I do have for my notes for the character, slimy. He's a narc, shifty, shady, somewhat comedic. He's actually kind of got like a funniness about him, which makes you laugh and so I went with somebody who has a bit of a comedic background, but also has a dramatic background. And you're probably going to throw a haymaker right back at me, speaking of budget. But I'm going to contend that this guy hasn't been in a lot in a while, even though he's a big name. And I went with Jeremy Piven, who we know as Ari Gold in Entourage. He was the dean in old school. He was in The Good, Serendipity, PCU. But he was also serious roles, Runaway Jury, Sin City, Edge of Tomorrow. I think that this is a guy who, again, he's got that kind of shifty, shady, dirtbag feel to him. He's also a little bit sarcastic and funny. And so I think that I would like him as much as I liked Rudy in the, sh- in the movie. Oh, well, we don't have a shot? No. You want to know why? They're out to a guy. I don't know if you've ever heard of him. His name is Tom Cruise. Tom Cruise is going to play Pablo Escobar? Oh, come on, the guy's not even Hispanic. Yeah, and Hilary Swank has a vagina, and she won an Oscar pretending she has a dick. Definitely a perfect mix of all the things you said. You know, he's shady, sleazy, but... Man, he, does he look the part as well. So I, I think you hit it on the head there. I'm, I'm not mad at that pick at all. I don't remember seeing him in anything recent, so I can't you know, really be upset about it at all. But I think that he's, he's perfect. I think that dude from Entourage and anything else that he has played would fit right there as a carbon copy as, as Rudy in this film. Great choice there. Oh, thank you. If I was casting him like right after Entourage ended, probably not going to be able to afford him. But like I said, we haven't seen him much since then. So Yeah, you're a little more conscious of the budget. We appreciate that. <laughs> somebody has to be <laughs> so uh the next one we have is grant frost who is lead like police officer he's not like the chief but he's kind of like danny's mentor i feel like he's his friend i saw him as like the the, chi- like the chief negotiator so there's like the chief of police whatever that was there kind of handling everything and he was kind of i wouldn't say working along with beck but i you saw him working most closely along with beck so i'd say it's like the captain of the police but I saw Frost as like the commissioner of like the the negotiators. Like he was like the top negotiator. Right. And you can even see maybe like Danny was brought up under his wing and kinda of he taught Danny how to be a negotiator. There's definitely a friendship there that yes. I see. Did not see that twist coming towards the end, because he seemed like he was really on Danny's side and trying to help Danny out. Turns out he was the one setting up Danny. Those are spoilers. <laughs> so there is something a little bit shifty about the characters that he usually plays. He was Arvin Sloan and Alias, so he was kind of a, a shady character there. And you know, prior to that, he was in L.A. Confidential. He was in nine episodes of ER. He was in the movie JFK. Uh, I put here he's warm and inviting and a mentor to Danny. So I don't have anything bad for him. Like this is a character who I want to be. You know, again, a warm, inviting character. And so I went with a character who's on TV show. This is what he's most famous for is probably being Doctor Andrews in The Good Doctor, and that is Hill Harper. So he's a very warm, intelligent, inviting guy. He was actually in the movie All Eyes on Me, the Tupac documentary. He was the guy interviewing Tupac in that 197 episodes of CSI New York. So I guess that he did that, and then he did The Good Doctor. But I feel like you know, he was also Booger Sykes and he got game and Will Beckford in the skulls when he was younger. So he's a guy who's, I think, going to play that mentor or friend role to Christian Bale. Now, 
because of the age difference, I don't think he's going to be Christian Bale's mentor, but they could have maybe come up together in the academy and worked together and learned how to be negotiators together. I'd say that would have been my only criticism, Wayne, was the fact that you kind of mentioned mentor a few times in the lead up, and then you kind of had to back it up a little bit to say, oh, he's not really going to be the mentor. He's more of like a, a friend that worked with him in the academy, which makes more sense because I think just looking at the age, he seems um, less, more so a friend and, and less so of like a, you worked under my wing, you know, you were under my training unfamiliar with him to be honest um but you know he does look like he could certainly pull off the part i wasn't super familiar with who you know the actor was to play frost so i mean i can't knock you for picking someone that i'm not familiar with i'm sure that he could really pull off a, a wonderful performance as frost I, I agree with you i did not expect um you know that twist i mean the whole movie i was sitting here thinking it was gonna be beck or the captain that were involved i mean they seem to be shady they seem to be wanting danny killed so so much that i was like god these guys got to be involved but really, they just wanted it resolved, and it resolves quick. But, you know, for this one, I'm going to keep my wallet open, and I'm going to go with Christoph Waltz. I'm not amazingly familiar with him, but I, I know him most from Django Unchained. And uh, I almost see uh, a mentor kind of partnership there um, in his time with Jamie Foxx. And I think that he is old enough to be Will Smith Sr. and mentor, and I think that a wonderful actor. He was also in Inglorious Bastards. And uh, I think that he could do uh, well here. He wasn't my original thought, but he kind of came to me more recently. And I wanted to just continue to expand my budget. And I think that he would do a wonderful job as Frost. Oh, I think so, too. I think Christoph Waltz is fantastic. He's another guy that every movie he's in, he kind of hits it out of the park. Like you said, Django Unchained. He's in Inglorious Bastards as the lead Nazi guy. He is in James Bond, one of the new James Bond movies, as one of James Bond's nemesis. I think it was... Um, Quantum of Solace is the one that he's in. So he's really, really good. And I like him a lot. And again, I'm not going to criticize anything he does on the screen. It's again, like you said, we've got now Superman as a supporting cast and we've got Christoph Waltz, who's a, a renowned actor and a supporting cast. So I feel like it's going to run into those situations. Whenever Jesse beats me in these things, I always feel like it's because he has like 10 A-listers and I've, I've got all these like role characters. But this is a, in terms of performance, I think you're right. I think he plays the right age that he would be Will Smith's mentor. I think he has that personality. We saw him as Django's mentor. It would be kind of the same type of role with Will Smith. So 100% perfect, perfect cast as an actor. And uh, Jesse's just working with a much bigger budget than I am. Uh, I mean, you have had to look up somebody I've casted so far. I wouldn't be shocked if you have to continue to do that with one or more of the rest of my cast. Again, fair criticism as it is every episode. Um, you know, I'm, I'm constantly working with more money in fantasy because I'm constantly working with less in real life. <laughs> After Frost here, we've got, we've got Maggie who is also, uh, held hostage there with Rudy and with Nibom, secretary of Nibom, bit of a, a fiery redhead who doesn't want to be there and is very vocal about not wanting to be there from the start. I mean, you know, and she starts to be pretty helpful. Um, and she also is a, a dick at the end and sends all the cops towards Danny's way when he's trying to get the resolution. You know, when he uh, makes sure that she's safe in the end there, he turns based on the FBI's pressure there. But I thought that she did a good job, the original actress. And for this one, I went with Chelsea Peretti. She is red-haired secretary sore in Brooklyn Nine-Nine. She's uh, married to Jordan Peele, who has been very funny on his Comedy Central time, but also kind of intertwined with some horror films more recently, um, you know, with Us get out and more recently with Candyman, he's got his hands all in that so chelsea peretti is my cast for maggie i like chelsea peretti in terms of how she looks again i'm a big brooklyn 99 fan as well so i'm familiar with her character 
I think that she has a comedic background. I feel like the only criticism I would have here is that Maggie tends to be very serious to me. Like Maggie's not funny. She's not charming. There's nothing likable about her. Like you said, what a douche at the end when Paul Giamatti's like, no, no, don't tell him. And she's like, oh, this is where they're going. So Chelsea Peretti, I think this would be, I don't doubt she can do it. This is kind of one of those throwaway roles we talk about where it doesn't really have to fit any sort of criteria. So she's going to fit in fine. I'm curious to see how she handles dramatic acting. Now, typically, comedic actors transition to drama better than drama actors transition to comedy. So I'm sure she'll be fine. Uh, I do like it. And again, being a throwaway role, it's always like, all right, who's going to have a cooler kind of throwaway character here? Yeah, we'll see how it goes. Who's your Maggie win? Well, it's so funny that you ask because after just criticizing you for having a comedic background actress, I went Deborah, with Deborah Messing. i went with melissa rock who's from the big bang theory she plays bernadette she was also hope and gregory in the movie the bronze so she's done some dramatic acting but this is probably her most famous role as being bernadette and i had mentioned to you off the air that kind of my cast gives the movie a visual upgrade in a sense and i feel like uh, we did that here with this character as well I agree. Yeah, Mag- Maggie, not the most beautiful character originally represented. And uh, her voice is also a little bit of nails on chalkboard. And uh, I know, and lastly, I don't want to beat a dead horse, but man, we both have said it. What a douche for that move there at the end by, you know, really just narking out where Danny ended up going to try and resolve this whole issue. Yeah, I, I really like that choice. I'm familiar with Big Bang, and I think she's great on there. I'm not familiar with her really outside of there, but she's a bit more serious than my Chelsea Peretti. But I like that we both went with someone who has a, a bit of humor in them. And I think yours is very pretty. All right. Excellent. Yeah, I think it'll work out. And I think the next role we have here, which is Karen Roman, Danny's wife, is also kind of a throwaway role. The only reason it's not a complete throwaway role for me is that scene where she's on the walkie with him when he shoots the police officer. Or everyone thinks he does. And she drops it. And she's just completely stunned. Danny, it's me, Karen. Danny, please talk to me. And she's like, don't ever ask me to come in here and help again. She's just really upset. So very fiery. Like you said, very small throughout the movie up until that part. That's a very, very big part, which we later find out, everyone, that he didn't kill the police officer. But he tells Sabian they had to believe I was capable of that. I watching the first time, I thought he did kill him. I was like, oh my God, like this is like he just became the bad guy. Gives off those vibes for sure. But no, so I went with, and again, here's where I'm opening up my wallet. We're now gonna have a, a pissing contest and who can spend more money. But uh, so I'm going basically with Christian Bale's wife in this movie is going to be played by Rosario Dawson, who we know is from Daredevil. She was in The Light and Thief, Percy Jackson, Eight Pounds. He got game rent. She's kind of a big, big name actress. She may not even take this role. But since we're pretending Henry Cavill is going to take a supporting role, Rosario Dawson is taking my Karen Roman role. I think it's great. I think she's beautiful. And I think you, you do a wonderful job in this representation so far, not just in this actress, but in the film of adding color and, and beauty, um, which was your main objective, I think. And uh, you've provided us a really great film so far. So I think that Rosario Dawson's great. I've seen her in, in several things. So I think uh, her and Bale would be a very believable and a beautiful couple. I'm not going to knock you on dolls because that's all I've done to spend. My Karen... 
everything you said about her, I, I think is perfect. Um, I just mentioned earlier in the episode, I think when we first started that, a little bit romantical with Samuel Jackson, not something we usually see from him. But with her, yeah, that, that moment is pretty iconic when she's on the walkie and then just drops it. And now the ballsy move for Sabian to pull her in after originally saying, get out, we don't want you here. <laughs> but I, I'm going with Regina Hall, not Regina King. But you thought I was going to spend more and go with Regina King. I'm going with Regina Hall. She is in that show that I'm currently watching on Hulu called Nine Perfect Strangers. But she is right around that age where she'd be perfect with Will Smith. Probably more of a comedic background with her, but I think she's a great actress, probably an underrated actress. She's also known um, in those scary movie movies, so that's where she gets a lot of her humor, uh, I think, background. I think she'd be really good in this. And uh, so far, she's been really dramatic and less funny in the Nine Perfect Strangers that I'm seeing on Hulu. So not going with Regina King, who is the big money maker, I'm going with Regina Hall. All right, and that's uh, I think a good role as well for uh, you know a, kind of a secondary throwaway character. Yeah, I was going through her filmography here to try to figure out who she is. Obviously, she's in The Best Man. Like you said, scary movie, three, four, two, one. There we go, all of them. And I'd have to actually check her out. And she looks the part. But I think that's what really matters when we get to these eight, nine, seven, eight, nine roles, you know, is do they look the part? That's the main thing. And versus the others where they have to fit a certain mold. She doesn't. She just has to have that, get that one intense scene where she's freaked out by him killing somebody. And then other than that, she just has to be kind of like background scenery. So I think right. that it's a great role. I think Regina Hall fits perfectly. And I think budget wise, uh, we're back on track here. We may not go over. So, but I don't know because I haven't heard you cast Farley yet. So, oh well, Farley, I've got Jonah Hill. No, I'm kidding. <laughs> um, <laughs> so, uh, for Farley, um, as soon as you mentioned that you wanted to do this, I wasn't shocked. This is someone that I felt just in that the interaction you had on the phone. Um, you know, it was it was huge between him and Danny. I mean, it was almost kind of coaching and making fun of him at the same time. Danny was, you know, for mine, I'm not going to beat around any bushes. I've got Sean Aston. A lot of people know him as, you know, Rudy or, or uh, Samwise Gamgee. But I think uh, look-wise, scared, timid, I think he's uh, he's a good fit for Farley here. So probably the throwiest away of throwaways, but I think looks and uh, characteristics, he provides me that Farley. Absolutely. I think that Sean Aston would be perfect in this role. Again, another big name, uh, especially we know we have him as Bob from Stranger Things. I think he fits out perfect. He has the physical demeanor. He looks the right. And, and you also feel bad for him. Like, you feel bad for Farley when he's on the phone. Right off the bat, when Danny's like, are you going to try to talk me down, Farley? All right, let's do this. I'll give you a shot. we got a few minutes before Sabian gets here. You ever um, dress up like a schoolgirl and get your ass spanked, Farley? Danny, look. Okay, all I want to do is just talk to you. I am talking. Now, did you or did you not ever dress up like a schoolgirl and get your ass spanked? have to look into that, Danny. Oh, jeez, Farley, you know, nothing against you dressing up like a little girl, but I didn't, I didn't know that about you, Farley. Danny, you know, this is really, really unproductive. Unproductive? You're right. It is. So, tell me a joke, Farley. You know any jokes? No. I... No! You just cost someone their life, Farley! Game over! I mean, that was a, that was a brutal, brutal scene. And you feel bad for Farley. Like, he doesn't even want to, like, pick up the phone ever again, you know? And, and I feel like him and Danny are friends. Like, he's trying to be, like, friendly with Danny. Like, Danny, come on, man. I'm trying to talk to you. And Danny's just like, no, this is what's going on. Right? And he's being, t- and I get it. You're, you're accused of murder. You're about to lose your life. You know? Right. So, but I did feel bad for Farley. I think Sean Aston fits perfect with that. Like you would feel bad seeing him take that beating from Will Smith. Right. I went with a little less known actor, but still a fairly decent actor in terms of television. And I went with Eric Stone Street, who plays Cameron Tucker on Modern Family. 
Uh, he was also a bad teacher. He was in Identity Thief, but really Modern Family is what he's most known for. And again, it just has to be somebody who's soft and lo- uh, lovable, and you're going to feel bad for him when uh, that whole scene happens. And I've seen Modern Family. I've seen enough episodes to uh, feel bad for this gentleman, and he is uh, he is soft and lovable. So I think he crushed uh, those characteristics, uh, those boxes you want to check with him that should have been checked where I think he'd fit perfectly. So uh, top to bottom, I really enjoy your cast. I think a little uh, lesser known for me, but that's not anything new. You uh, have a much more experienced palette. And I think you also did a, a greater job of providing more uh, color into this, which um, something the original director and myself didn't really take into consideration. All right. Well, I appreciate the feedback on that. I know you said you didn't have a ton of almost. Did you have anybody uh, that you know almost made it in? Yeah, I mean, I, I actually stretched myself and given you an almost for almost everybody. What's funny is my almost for Danny is Jonathan Majors. The oh, gentleman nice. you gentleman that you chose to be your Chris Sabian. So I, I had that written down um, a couple of days ago, and it was from how captivating I found him to be on Loki because that's really the only thing I'm super familiar with him on, and I thought that he would have done well. My almost for Chris Sabian um, was James McAvoy. know him from Split and also kind of the newer X-Men, but I think he's a really wonderful young actor as well. I say young, but he's probably like late 30s, early 40s. My uh, almost for Rudy was going to be uh, Corey Stoll. Um, if you, um, I don't know how familiar you are with him, but he was Ant Man's um, nemesis there, the Yellow Jacket. Okay. So bald, well, going for bald guy that I felt could kind of be a little bit more. I was say, I'm glad you didn't go that route because I think Eric Stoll is a little too intense for Rudy. Yeah, he's, I think he's a little too tall and probably a little bit more physical than, than he needed to look as well. So that's why I went with the, the leads a little bit more funny um, than serious. My almost for Frost, John Malkovich. Almost for Karen, who again is Will Smith's wife. I chose Gabrielle Union, because why not? Bad Boys for Life. Um, my almost for Farley was going to be Kevin James, because again, why not? Let's, let's have some more Will Smith and Kevin James interactions. All right. So what you're saying is that even though you had a $118 million budget, you could have had a $250 million <laughs> budget. <laughs> Trimmed it down a little bit. <laughs> <laughs> but like I said, it's so funny that I would give you criticism about that, because when I first started thinking about who do I want as my... Danny and Sabian, right? The very first two names that came out, and I laughed when I when I came up with these: Tom Cruise, Denzel Washington. <laughs> Why so, not? <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean, hey, what, what, what's money? It's just paper. <laughs> Jesse's beating me for the last time. That's right. I mean, obviously, two huge names you could have on the poster, but I didn't go that direction. I was like, all right, that's that's a little too crazy. Morgan um, Freeman and Tom Hanks. Yeah, I like it. <laughs> So um, the other almost I had was for Farley. I had considered Pete Davidson from Saturday Night Live, but I felt like he just he's not likable enough. Like Farley has to have a very innocent likableness about him. I felt Davidson didn't fit that. Yeah. And then the last one was for Frost. I almost had Ed O'Neill. I thought would be a, a good Frost. I just had to go with because you know I get into my TV shows. I'm like I gotta pick somebody from the show I'm watching. So I like the Good Doctor, and I went with um, Mr. Hall there. Oh, and uh, one last bit here. Um, since you're big, a big Walking Dead fan, did you know that what's the actress um that played Ellie in Jurassic Park? Is that Dorn? Is that her name? Oh, uh, Laura Dern. So she's married to someone um that is in Walking Dead. My mom mentioned that, and I wanted to make sure I told you because you're such a big Walking Dead fan that she's apparently married to one of the stars of Walking Dead. Oh, which one? I wonder. So yeah, you, I, you'd probably have to look that up. Uh, she told me, and I I forgot that. But uh, I at least wanted to mention the connection because I thought that's something you'd have found neat. You like those nuggets. I do, actually. I'm going to pull it up on my phone and see who she's married to. And if you're wrong, we're going to broadcast it and burn my mom. 
Uh, let's see. So she is married to or divorced from Ben Harper. He's not in The Walking Dead. Oh, no. Mom. Mom, this is precious airspace. Yeah, I don't know. Yeah, I can't. Uh, maybe Ben oh, Harper Mom. is in it at some point. I don't know, but I don't. He's not one of the main characters. So I was, I was in Andrew Lincoln, but I'm like, no, nah, he's a lot younger. So. Oh, well, it'll be the last time Mom gets a shout out. So uh, <laughs> sorry about that, Wayne. But I, 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 I enjoyed doing a movie that I hadn't seen before. I think um, only a few times um, has that happened with uh, our show, Wayne. So this was a fun one to go back and see actors that I really have, have grown to see in other movies. See them, um, you know, in, in the 90s and really do an awesome movie. I thought this was really good for the time. Yeah, I liked the movie as well, and it was fun to do it. I hadn't seen it in a while as well, and it's not a movie. Unlike some of the movies we've done, like A Few Good Men, I've seen it probably 70, 80 times. I haven't seen The Negotiator a ton of times, so it's one of those ones I do have to watch again and enjoyed it, enjoyed watching it, and enjoyed recasting it. I do want to say if anybody wants to give us a shout-out on Twitter, at Recasted Podcast, that's the place to find us. We are also on Facebook, at Recasted Podcast. Visit All Things Movies and give us some thoughts on any movie thing you want. It doesn't have to be about us. It can be anything that you want. And then, obviously, on Instagram, at Recasted Podcast 8, we'll get the casts up side-by-side. But definitely been appreciating the the growth. It seems like we're getting a, a lot more listens. Our last episode, Jurassic Park, is now number two. Believe it or not, number one is still real genius. And I think that maybe has something to do with a cross-promotion that we did with the What If podcast. But we're closing in. Jurassic Park's coming in second. And uh, I think over the two-week span, almost 40 downloads, which is pretty solid. Yeah, I like this bi-weekly schedule. Um, you know, we hadn't really mentioned that. But, you know, instead of coming in at you weekly, you know, we don't want to dry up that. 80s and 90s era too fast folks um we want to make sure we can still give you the best episodes possible and i think in order to do that you know for us to generate the best ideas and also generate some some advertisement and some marketing out there for our show um we're doing it bi-weekly now and i think that's really helped us out um you know both uh, real job wise and um you know to give you a, the best product possible so we appreciate um you know the likes the follows as well as your opinions give us your opinions and thoughts um, so uh, this is a wonderful episode. I enjoyed it, and I hope you all enjoyed it as well. I did as well, and uh, thank you, everybody, for tuning in. That's all, folks.